Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. All right, well, that was Philip. Philip's not with us. He is, he is off visiting the, the corporate home, our benevolent overlord, as we are one to say, at Sekarati, and he's working on all kinds of cool technical stuff. So we missed Philip tonight, but we're, uh, we're excited he's there getting all that groovy stuff done. Uh, I was supposed to be out there, but all kinds of family stuff going on, so, so I am here holding down the fort, and it's a good thing. we got a great show tonight. Very excited about it. We have a couple of very interesting authors. We have Joe Takash. Takish. Takish. It's Takish. I don't know why I keep... I think I knew a Takash, but I think it was spelled differently. Anyway, Takish, and he is the author of Results Through Relationships, Building Trust, Performance, and Profit Through People. Next, we'll be speaking with Nancy Kimmelman, Common Sense, How the Economy Really Works from the Global Market to the Supermarket, and Obviously, that's rather timely. And our third guest will be the great multi-instrumentalist Joe McEwen, who goes all the way back to the nitty-gritty dirt band. He's got a lot of interesting things going on right now. With me is Lisa McKay. How are you, Lisa? I'm good, Eric. How are you? I am swell. We're we're a month into our our new relationship with Technorati, and uh, that's Blog Critics, by the way. And we are, uh, I think things are really starting to come together. This is a big week for us. We were able to uh, bring in our editors uh, in, in a new uh, pay structure. And, you know, we weren't able to pay everyone, which we're sad about. But it's, it's a really big move in the right direction. So that is super cool. And with all of this turmoil, madness going on with the economy day after day, the Dow shooting up and down, mostly down. I, I don't know what it ended up doing today. Uh, I'm sure Joe or, or Nancy will know. But uh, um, we are in a really pretty tremendous situation. I just heard a state of the, of the Technorati report. This was the one-year anniversary for when the new team came in, the new CEO and, uh, and, and all the main – or most of the main officers. And, boy, things are really looking up for Technorati. So – that's exciting because, man, these are tough times. They are tough times, and uh, I agree that uh, things are, are very exciting at BC right now for sure. Yeah, and, and we're going to start to, in the very near future, we're going to be getting involved with the, the real direct linking, uh, which hasn't happened yet, and, and from, between us and Technorati, and all kinds of inner, inner activity is going to be going on, and I think we're going to see our traffic shoot maybe as much as double here just within the next few weeks, months. So we're real excited about that. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's get going with Joe because, uh, as always, we, we don't want to run out of time. Joe Takish is president of performance management firm Victory Consulting in LaGrange Park, Illinois. As a professional speaker and business consultant, he has been interviewed by and his articles have been published in a variety of outlets, including Investors Business Daily, Selling Power Magazine, MSNBC.com, Ooh, I used to write for them, Cranes Business New York, Entrepreneur Magazine. I was profiled in there about 10 years ago, and I like these asides that I put in. And uh, Career Builder, his client list features numerous Fortune 100 corporations, including General Motors, American Express, and AIG. And his new book, which just came out this month, is Results Through Relationships, Building Trust, Performance, and Profit Through People. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Eric and Lisa. I appreciate it. So why don't you tell us about the book? Timing could not be better to, uh, to try to gain the upper hand in business. This is certainly a time I'm sure you're seeing in your, in your uh, consulting company that people are probably really pretty stressed right now. It's scary. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that has become pervasive that, you, you know, and I, I, hate, I hate to start off and sound morbid, but it's almost like it's a disease that you don't think is going to hit you, but now you look around and you've got people that never paid attention to the Financial Times paying attention, and not a lot of people feel safe. Now, interestingly, the impetus of my book wasn't as much to do with the global market because that would not be the strong suit of my knowledge. Rather, it's about the fact that I think we're all in the relationship business first, whether you're in radio or you're selling mutual funds or you're a teacher 
uh, you know, one of the quotes I commonly refer to is, Theodore Roosevelt said, the single most important ingredient to success is the ability to deal with people. But I, I guess if I were to synopsize, given the time constraint here, is I get frustrated by the fact that there was never really any, never really any curriculum in most colleges on relationship skills 101. And then by the time people get to the workplace, it becomes the dysfunctional evolution of leadership, meaning that all of a sudden meetings are run lousy. People don't know how to manage people, and it's not by intent, but it is by impact because they've never been given a blueprint. So to synopsize once more, I would just say that the, the, the motive force for this book is to tackle some issues that we've all heard about, but if, in fact, we get truly honest feedback statistically, we're not nearly as effective as we think we are. And this is really about making sure that the execution of your intellect, your education, is performed in how you connect in your relationships. I apologize for the length of that. That went longer than I even thought. Oh, not at all. We're, and we're not in any huge hurry. We have, you know, we have at, least, uh, at least another 10 minutes or so. And <laughs> you never know. Maybe our next guest won't call in. <laughs> we, we've, we're, we're, we're kind of gun-shy right now. We've had a run of late where... Uh, we, we've been running around doing all these things, as, as I imagine you picked up on. We've had some pretty significant business changes. So we haven't had quite the time to put into, you know, doing the the legwork leg and harassing people in advance and making sure they're going to be here. So we've we've had a few people just uh, just kind of show up here. So anyway, uh, what I find really interesting, and I'm sure Lisa will will think of this too, or, or it's probably struck her too. A lot of the authors, very many of the authors uh, who we've talked to, and we're real selective. I think we've done a really good job of talking to, you know, interesting and innovative people. But many of them say, you know, kind of through various angles, of course, but end up saying the same thing that you're saying. Ultimately, that it really does come down to people skills and that if, if you are not empathetic, if you are not likable, people just aren't going to want to work with you and will kind of do whatever they can to, you know, subvert that, that process. And gosh, I think you're right. I mean, just there's so many people who, who just don't realize it or they forget it or they think it really doesn't matter or they're just going to kind of bludgeon their way through deals and relationships. But uh, gosh, you know, I just did in, in my it's so vivid in my personal life because we did do just complete this this big deal, big, by far biggest deal of my life, where we sold our our company, which is blogcritics.org, to a larger company, Technorati. And uh, when when they were presenting us uh, to Technorati, the CEO, the first thing he said, which really struck me, the first thing he said was not something about blog critics or whatever. He said, "This is Eric." And I'll tell you what, I really like him. I've liked him from the beginning, and I trust him. And he, that was the first thing he said. So think, you know, here, here we have this organization with 2,500 writers, and we got 30 editors, and we got all kinds of stuff going on. We publish 40, 50 stories every single day. But the first thing that he thought to tell his own organization was that he liked me and <laughs> liked working with me. So uh, it, it really has been vividly pointed out to me personally. So now I've matched you for long-windedness. How about that? How about these no, nine well, points here? Results. Well, you know what? Let me let me turn that back to you though. See now, here's I'm going to put I'm going to switch from my speaker author hat and put my consultant hat on. So he said he likes you and he trusts you. All right. So try to look inward, remove ego, be clinical, and say why. What do you think you display? Because really what I try to get into, and you're right, a lot of my peers say, hey, it's all about being empathetic. But being empathetic is not a behavior, right? It's a platitude. It's a place to get to. I've got to demonstrate specific behaviors. In other words, how do I demonstrate compassion? Do I see from the other person's perspective? Do I speak in a tone of voice that indicates to them that I care beyond my own interest? So when this person said, I like Eric, right, we like to do business with pe people we like and trust, what do you think he saw in you behaviorally now that would indicate that? Uh, I think uh, enthusiasm. Uh, he, we, we, I was very enthusiastic about uh, – I, I could see the match uh, and, and where the companies were very synergistic. So I was very enthusiastic about, A, the relationship from the beginning, but then also probably even more so enthusiastic about our organization and the fact that 
we've been able to accomplish, all that we've been able to accomplish, and, and I'm very proud of the organization. It's not me. It's, it's my enthusiasm is for our organization and what you know, Lisa and Philip and 2,500 riders have been able to accomplish totally grassroots, on our own, uh, no outside funding, and it's been very, very organic, and I, I, I'm very, very enthusiastic about that and always have been, and it's exciting to me, and I'm very proud of that, that we've been able to achieve what we have been able to achieve and that we have this functioning system. And, and so I was able to convey that very enthusiastically, uh, quickly, and in great detail, too, uh, you know, to him, and I think he really picked up on that and saw that, A, uh, here we have, yes, all these, these objective things that are there. You know, he liked the, the fact that we're able to generate uh, all this high-quality, well-edited, written material on a daily basis, on an ongoing basis, and that we have this structure for uh, distributing uh, review material so that we generate reviews on an ongoing basis. He liked all of that. Uh, but I think he equally liked the fact that the guy who was the head of this is, is very enthusiastic about it and um, it takes obvious pride in the organization. I, you know, I never, ever, ever take credit for this other than just kind of writing herd over it and kind of directing it here and there. And, and um, you know, b being first among equals is essentially what it's been. I mean, it really is an, or an organizational achievement, and I think he, he liked that part of it, and it, was, it wasn't some sort of ego thing, and that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't trying to give myself too much credit because it would be absurd. And all anyone would have to do is just, you know, look for, for an hour at our operations to realize that, uh, you know, in many ways I'm a small component, but I'm, I'm sort of the titular head, and I'm there to spur things when they need spurring and to resolve, help resolve conflicts when they need to be resolved. So I think that's what he liked and just, uh, you know, we did pretty instantly have a have a, a personal rapport. We're similar ages in some ways, similar backgrounds. We have some similar interests and, uh, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for his organization and his, his abilities and what he's achieved in his career and, and he seemed to have the same. So I mean that's my take on it. Maybe maybe I'm nuts, but I think I think those are the things that he uh, liked the most. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm just trying to read between the lines here, and the things I'm hearing is there's obviously not only proven success, and so that's why I talk about relationships really being the execution, and and so involved in that execution is are you contagious are you likable um, you know do you express gratitude and appreciation one of the things that I think is critically important and it's one of the chapters in the book is the importance of being vulnerable and what I try to do uh, and I don't try to do it to put any market spin on it I do it because I'm soulfully passionate about it is I think from and this is from a male standpoint too, I think from egomaniacal males from way back when, there was this misconception that showing vulnerability is a weakness. When in fact, if you turn inward and you think, who's the best boss who led me? And what kind of relationship that we have? Typically, it's the person who's willing to show vulnerability the person who's willing to admit fault. And, and I've always believed that the best relationships, and, and all you have to do is look in your personal life with those you really love and value, the best relationships are not built, they're rebuilt. And if you have a long-term successful relationship and that goes without conflict, then someone's not telling the truth. And so when I think about results through relationships, all of the things that we're talking about, a cynic could say, well, that's touchy-feely. But I have found in my consulting and speaking practice those who think this stuff is touchy-feely are those who always need it the most and who have the highest level of insecurity around relationships because everything we're talking about leads right back to what you just talked to a moment ago, Eric, which is trust and loyalty and morale and how that equals performance and quality and ultimately in for-profit businesses, the bottom line. And so when I think about relationships, and, and I, I'd ask you to, do the same, and I'm going to throw one at Lisa here, a, a sidewinder, is when you think about feedback 
I don't mean to be interviewing the interviewer, but it's kind of what I do for a living, so it's a bus mentality. Please do. Um, <laughs> when you think about feedback, here's a little statistic. Uh, 1994, there was a, a book written called, what was it called, uh, White Space um, Improving Organizational Performance. It wasn't a terribly exciting book, but it did have an illuminating study in it. It interviewed over 20, uh, I'm sorry, 100,000 managers over a 20-year period, and it asked them one question. Essentially, are you an effective communicator? 93% of the manager said, yes, I am. 11% of their employees agreed. <laughs> and so that's 82% misalignment. And so go back to what I was saying at the beginning. Number one, we don't have relationship skills 101. Number two, as soon as you get in the workplace, you work hard, you keep your you know, your head down and your rear end high and you don't ask questions. So they don't show you how to run meetings, how to recognize people, how to delegate, how to manage. Then the higher you go, you become less approachable by the evolution of your uh, promotions. And then the higher you go, the less honest feedback you receive. Yet conversely, the more these relationship skills matter. So when you think about where could my potential blind spots be, where are my biggest strengths as a communicator, as a relationship builder? Lisa. I ask you to take that question. Hmm. Boy, that is a tough one. I, 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 I don't even know how I would measure what my biggest strengths and weaknesses are. I don't think I get enough necessarily feedback from the people I communicate with every day. Well, what well, can do you I answer that it's, for, it's Lisa? Not sort of. It's not sort of like you know. I mean. It's, I don't think uh, I don't think we take the time to do sort of like a how am I doing kind of thing. Well, and that that is a that's a that's a functional mistake of it in itself, and I don't mean that toward you personally, but I mean what we want to be known for. And then I'll, I'll, Eric, I'll let you take a stab at your. But let, let me just throw this in there. If you think about what I say this to groups all the time, and I said, you know, don't think this is phony motivational BS. I, I, I was in Austin, Texas this morning speaking to 80 people, and I said, what do you want to be known for at the end of your life? Because most people don't just say, I wanted to be known as a good manager who made a lot of money. That may be part of it. <laughs> but I want, to, I want to be known as a good father and a good husband and someone who made a difference. But then I go, okay, let's go back to your behaviors because people cannot judge you by what you think or what you feel, only by what you say or what you do. Behavior is really all that matters. And yet, if you aren't getting feedback on your behavior, then how are you not, how could you ever know whether or not you're on the right path to make sure you're getting to that next level so you can expedite your growth, increase your confidence, increase your connections, and know that your intent is aligned with your impact i.e. not having the 93% versus 11%. So, so I, I think from a pure business standpoint, we're missing the boat on not getting feedback or making that a service standard. And as a result of that, 97% of unhappy customers don't complain. So we're only getting 3% of the truth. We've all had lousy meals, and then you've got a smiling manager say, how was it? And rather than go through the confrontation, we'd rather walk away, and then we'll tell 20 people. So I well, digress. Can, can I Eric, answer the question yeah, for, Lisa. for Lisa, or should I yeah. answer for myself? We'll give, give your perspective on Lisa. From well, a, Lisa uh, is our executive editor, and she does other things, certainly, uh, always has, but her, her primary role, her, her most visible role and, and certainly crucial is executive editor. So she uh, has to do, she is a combination of den mother and taskmaster and uh, a shoulder to cry on and, uh, and, a, and a resource of very specific knowledge. So she has to be all of those things and she has to do it in a very even-mannered way and in a very persistent, consistent way, day after day after day. Um, if, if she isn't there and if people don't hear from her, then they get very concerned and, and, and things start to fall apart. So she is able to do all of those things and be all of those people to about 30 people, all of whom have egos of their own, all of whom have skills of their own. We're talking about the editors. And then she, of course, as an editor, she's not just the executive editor, she's also 
a line editor, so she's dealing directly with writers too. So she has an ability to convey information very specifically, very detailed, very pointedly, and yet to do so in a diplomatic and and uh, and empathetic, to use that word, manner that people take, uh, you know, very very well. So she wears very easily on people, and and it's that combination. Uh, ultimately, really boiling down to people skills that makes her as successful as she is, you know, the unquestioned. Ever since she's had this role, she kind of just fell into the role. Uh, someone else had it before. They did not have the people skills. Uh, this, this, the woman who, who was in that role essentially before is is almost obscenely adept at, at actual editing. I mean, just frighteningly good eye. I mean, just spot any and all errors instantly. E, e, I am a robot. But absolutely no ability to convey um, that information in a manner that people are comfortable with. And so uh, there's been such a stark difference, you know, before and after in the two people. And, uh, you know, it's just proven to me and, and to the organization, you know, how important fundamentally that ability to, to deal with people in a very even-handed, very fair, and, and ultimately very positive manner uh, has made. So that's my assessment. Well, I could tell you two things. One, uh, Lisa, right as I got on the line, you and Eric were sharing something, and I don't know the specifics of it. I just heard you going back and forth. And so my intuitive feeling, because I'm, I'm, I'm slow on the uptake when it comes to intellect. I can only go by my intuition. But my instinct immediately was that she was someone who's an, a, 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 an efficient accountability agent. In other words, you're going you're gonna to hold people to the deadline. But what I'm also hearing from what Eric's saying, and let me egregiously throw a plug in the book, there's a, 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 a term I call, and if you really think about this, it's critical for business, and I call it uh, communicating with confidence. And if and what I what I describe confidence as, and it's and it sounds exactly like what you just described, Lisa, as Eric, is it's the ability to be a nice person, but also because if you you know confidence, I always say it's like an herbal tea. It's a gentle blend, ladies and gentlemen, of <laughs> kindness and confidence and compassion and humility. But if you only have one of those, if I'm just a nice person, then I can get walked on. I can be a doormat. If I'm just confident, but I don't have any emotion or compassion or any concern for the other person's perspective, then I'm arrogant or I'm someone that you don't want to do business with. And so that's what it sounds like you have a blend of, Lisa, which is someone who seems like a pretty nice person, but you also can be deadline-driven and assertive when you need to be, compassionate, and at the same time, hopefully, someone who's humble. And, you know, that, that's something that's hard to quantify. It's, we kind of know it when we see somebody. But, you know, what's interesting is I've had over 3,000 people on videotape. I coach a lot of execs and presentation skills. I have never had one person, after seeing themselves on videotape, come back in the room when I ask them how they feel. I've never had one person when I would say, Eric, how did you feel? I've still never had one person say, phenomenal. I was great. You should see my videotape. I'm telling you, I'm going to show it at my next family reunion. Because we all look and we say, first of all, we all say the camera puts on 45 pounds. But on top of that. 45, is it? <laughs> but we, what we also don't realize is we don't realize how we come across. And the whole purpose of this book, in your relationship, is get feedback and align perceptions to see how you manage your boss. Or do you express gratitude? I'll throw one other thing at you. I have a lot of people write down uh, a name of someone in their personal life and someone in their professional life and, and speaking programs that I do. And I said, I just want you to write their name down and split the columns. I said, I'm going to give you two minutes. And when, the first minute, all I want you to do, free-form brainstorm. Think of as many positive qualities to describe that person you work with. Go. And then at the 60-second point, I say switch. And it's, when they switch, they've got to do it to the, uh, the individual in their personal life. When they finish, I said, all right, total them up, and who had the most? And I'll hear 13, 16, 19, 14, 22. Can anybody beat 22? And no one says anything. I said, the winner is 
No one. The question is, when's the last time you've communicated one of those qualities? You know, I think one of our biggest regrets is, as you leave this life, you say, geez, I always think these great things about my wife, but do I ever have, do I ever really think about saying it? Or that boss who made a difference? And, you know, again, people go to the touchy-feely. That's the stuff that motivates performance. We think on logic. We act on emotion. The number one reason we leave our jobs is not lack of money, not lack of opportunity. It's lack of recognition, lack of the ability to make sure we're contributing something to bigger to something bigger than ourselves. So anyway, again, back to all of this, it's results through relationships. You can't build trust, performance, and profit through people unless you're aligned with how you really connect with others. That's at least the, the passion from which I speak. Hey, that reminds me of a SpongeBob episode where the guy says, well, do you want to be liked or do you want to be respected? And the guy goes, lie-spect me. Say, what was it? Like spec me? Lie spec. It's like and respect. Yeah, lie spec me. I know. You're at, so that, you're that's with. somewhat similar to your blend. You know, I mean, some of the same. Uh, a similar blend of, of characteristics there. Um, because, yeah, back to Lisa using her. I'm sure she's really happy about this <laughs> example here. But uh, none of that would work, you know, if she wasn't respected you know people would just walk over her and uh, you know or take her for granted and they don't because they respect her because they know that you know she's not going to take a bunch of crap uh, on the one hand and she's you know very serious and and uh, very results oriented but she is going to conduct that she's going to be that in a very likable and and empathetic and uh, you know positive uh, optimistic manner, and so um, you know all of that is is uh, is extremely uh, beneficial, and she's really been uh, amazing. Hey, uh, we have another call. In fact, make sure that we don't lose them. Let me let me let me find out. Actually, who is on? Who else is on the line now with us? Did you hear me? Yes. Hi, this is my name is John McEwen. John, excellent. Can you hang on just for a moment? We didn't want we didn't want to lose you, so just hang on for a moment. We're going to say goodbye to our our current guest. And hey, I'm actually glad, Joe, that that we didn't hear from our author. It, it, exactly what I was talking about did not happen. I'm really glad we were able to chat much longer. Hey, I want to mention besides the book, which is Results Through Relationships: Building Trust, Performance, and Profit Through People. Uh, really terrific talking with you. We didn't get to the the, the nine-step process, but it's all right there in the book. But you also have a website we haven't we haven't mentioned. And if you have any any anything else other than the joeatakish.com, J-O-E-T-A-K-A-S-H.com, please do let us know. Uh, but uh, we want to send people there and. Uh, Yeah, the the other site they can go to, uh, which is probably easier for the self-explanatory spelling, because Joe Takish is Takish is not like Smith or Olson, which even itself could be E N or O N. So true. You can go to VictoryConsulting.com if you want to find out more about my firm's training programs or my keynote programs, and that will take you also right to joetakish.com from there. And results through relationships, building trust, performance, and profit through people can be found at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders, and BAM.com. And Eric and Lisa, I really, really appreciate you, including me in your program. Well, thank you. It was really interesting, and I think everything you have to say makes perfectly good sense. Best of luck to you all, and uh, make it a great night. Good luck with John. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Hi, John. That's me. I hope How I are you? Muted. Was I muted there? Uh, no, no. You, you're as soon as I brought you on, you're, you're, you are with us. We were just saying, uh, we were saying farewell to our, our previous guest here. So yeah, it's really an honor to have you. I've been a fan all the way back to the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band days. Which days are those? What? How far back? Oh, I'd say very early 70s. Well, that's good. Yep. uh, We started in 1966, August 12th. Yeah, I knew it was was the 60s. I knew uh, knew that. I was 
I was born in 58, so yeah, that's true. <laughs> I am now 50. So, uh, you know, by the time I was in my early teens, I uh, I uh-huh. was aware of you guys. I, I was starting to really get into kind of roots so music. How much around about the time of... That probably was the first one I heard. Yes, yes, indeed it was. And so we should mention to people, uh, and, and by the way, before we forget, uh, do, do you have a site of your own that we can send people to while we're... Yeah, my mother thought of my website name, John McEwen. Pretty close. Which, uh, funnily enough, is your name. Yeah. She's uh, 89 dot- years old. She's got the body of an 88-year-old. <laughs> Is it I dot com? Did I spell I that? I see that pillar. She says, "Yeah, I wish." So, uh, obviously, you were. We should say that you're, you know, a, a great. Uh, I suppose what, in the broadest sense, Americana, perhaps, uh, since you cover a lot of styles, everything from, um, you know, rock and roll, but uh, certainly bluegrass, country, folk. And, uh, I mean, that's what was so great about the beginning with the, you know, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band was this combination of all those Well, we started as a very young group, see. I mean, uh, we had our first minor hit called Buy For Me The Rain in 67, only seven months after we got together. And um, we only knew about 14 songs, and we recorded 12 of them on our, or 10 of them on our first album. (laughs) That is hilarious. Where did you guys, where did you you guys one guy was a... One guy was a junior in high school. One was a senior. I was the oldest guy. I was 20 when we started. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, re- yeah. You really were young. Well, see, it was, a, it was almost a trend in the 60s. You know the song Hang On Sloopy? Of course. Well, he was 17 when he recorded that. When the birds were happening, their ages were 19 through 22 or 3. Yeah. You're right. You know, You're a, right. A lot of the groups, Springfield, um, Airplane, even the doors. I mean, they were under twenty-five. Sure. Oh yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Early, uh, early on. Well, the '60s. Yeah. I mean, because if you go back to the '50s, some of them were actually older. Chuck Berry was in his '30s before he hit. I know. It took them longer. And when when the music started kind of turning over, some of the new stuff was coming from a much younger group of people. I mean, Richard right. Allen was sixteen when he did Donna, and that tradition, that trend carried on with some of the groups that sort of springing up in L.A. out of the 60s. Now, where did you guys form? Long Beach, California. Oh, really? And um, we're kind of a California band until 71 when we moved to Colorado, and and by the time we got to our fifth album, we finally put out a song called Mr. Bojangles that kind of changed the uh, the situation. And the Mr. Bojangles album led to the album Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Right. Which, which is, um, was one of the first all acoustic million selling records. It is an all time classic. It is, it is certainly an all time classic. Well, two years ago, the Library of Congress inducted the Circle album into the Library of Congress as one of the most important American recordings. I saw that, and I felt absolutely right with that. I mean, it really does. Well, the reason that happened is the people like you that liked it or that bought it told their friends about it, and some people printed about it, and some people played it on the radio. And, you know, because audiences or people make records hits. The bands record and record and record and record, and so do the artists. I was having dinner with Vince Gill last night, he was talking about how difficult it is for even him right now because radio is in such a state they don't really want to hear his new stuff. Well, we got a lot of Vince Kill in the current, you know. Right. And right. Amy Grant, his wife, was saying, well, her situation is a little better, but um, it's still a difficulty. It's not just age; it's the amount of time you stream in, uh, cram into the time slot. And uh, I've been producing an album on Steve Martin, and Monday I had Vince Gill and Dolly Parton singing together. Now, Dolly had this situation where she's in show business, and it works better for her, and people that are just in the music business and rely just on that music path and doing one thing, putting out records, are having a more difficult time getting them known. Right. Well, it's a it's a weird transitional time for the music industry, and There's you're right. That's a transition. 
I suppose you're right. I suppose this, but this well, is even no, more. It's, it's not something to be right or wrong about. Just look at history. Edison invented a cylinder. Two years later, I believe it was, Columbia invented a different size cylinder. So there were two formats from the beginning. Then different thicknesses of flat records going at 78. Then the 33. Then this. Then the 45. And then the. And then along comes stereo. Jimmy Bowen told me he didn't record stereo for three years because he thought it was a fab. Right. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, you know, I wrote the, uh, I was the editor and head writer. We had 20 writers, so I certainly didn't write the whole thing, but I was sort of the guy holding it together. The Encyclopedia of Record Producers. And so we certainly talked to Jimmy Bowen. But I, I wrote about uh, uh, John Hammond, and he he never liked the sound of stereo. He he said I to this day you know till the day he died he preferred um, the way recordings are done in mono where instead of having going for separation you have to go for uh, an ideal blending. You go to one unified sound, right? As if you're watching something from ten rows out from the stage. Exactly, and yeah. and he liked the challenge of you know the mic placement. And and he thought mm -hmm. that that was a, a more true and a more emotionally compelling sound than stereo. I mean, you know, people don't even realize there is, you know, such a thing as as mono at at this point, where we have 5.1 and 6.1 and 7.1 surround. And I just saw I, I just saw a new uh, new uh, receiver coming out that's a 10.1 surround. That's a lot of speakers. Who wants to have that many speakers? That's a lot of magnets to be surrounded with. Might be if you do it. Yeah, you have room for anything else. Yeah, you know, just speakers everywhere. And I'm a I'm a speaker freak. For Steve that Martin. Matter. Steve Martin used to say, "I just got the latest stereo system, audio system. It's Googlephonic, the nearest number of speakers to infinity that you can get." <laughs> That's a good one. So that was, so that now was 30 I know years ago he said that. Yeah, well, it, you know, we we had, you know, what's funny, I and and if talking about that, I'm I'm something of a, I wouldn't call myself an audiophile because I'm I'm not smart enough as far as, you know, the the audio, the true audio side of it. I'm by no means an audio engineer, but I'm certainly a big audio fan, and I've been listening to music, you know, for for many 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 years. But uh, I was just telling my wife because we we were just looking at do do we want to get a an SACD and a DVD uh, audio player, because that's kind of the only format we don't have. And I've heard them, <laughs> you know, a few times. I've heard them, and wow, you know, it's just tremendous to hear the that kind of separation in this, you know, with the real surround built into the, to, to the actually engineered into the recording as opposed to just being uh, done kind of by fiat by the equipment. So anyway, w I, I was doing some research into it and just seeing what are considered some of the classic, you know, SACDs or, or um, or uh, DVD audios and and the very best ones are considered are, are are the ones that were recorded in quad you know 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So you know the, the I made a DVD a couple of years ago that won four awards. It's with my um, longtime partner in music Jimmy Ivinson and Jennifer Warnes, Lori Lewis, and a bunch of acoustic players. And it won best of in the uh, in the surround music world. It was 5.1. Wow! It's a lot of fun to make. In fact, I also produced one on Paul Williams that has two double-sided discs in it. It has has two different types of DVD audio, and it's shot with five cameras, each one of them. And you have different camera angles to access on each one of them. Wow! Well, you really are an expert then. You're you're not just well, listening it's, to this. It's check it out at AIX Records or just AIX Google that, and you'll find all their great stuff. Mark Waldrop at AIX is the guy that did the first enhancement on the CD. He did the Rolling Stones back in '93 or something. Wow! Oh, well, yeah. I would love to hear that. Absolutely, I will absolutely well, check go to that AIX out. AIX Records and check out Nitty Gritty Surround. It's kind wow. of nitty gritty of surround. It's it's three years old now, I think maybe, but it's still it won some prizes. Oh, that's what's neat about this current world of this getting things captured and down and spread. That's what I I got involved with something last summer that just started up called iVideo Songs. And, and it's, I can't believe it. I wish it had existed when I was learning how to play. I know. We, you know, we talked to the head of that uh, a while back. Huffman? 
Yeah, and it really does sound exciting. Why don't you tell us about your involvement, please? Well, I video songs is this. If you want to find out how something was played or how how did that guy in whatever rock band play that solo, or how did McCartney do, I wish I could hear somebody talking about uh, George Martin producing in the song yesterday. Well, you can go and fi- listen to George Martin's son show you all the secret chords to yesterday that make it really sing on the guitar. Or you can see the guitar player from... I, you know, I don't have a list of the people, but they've got... At iVideo songs, you can find the actual people that made the, the hits, like great rock and roll guitar players, acoustic guitar players. I, I have two songs on there. One song from that Circle Being Broken album, um, which is one of one of my own instrumentals that was on there, and I break it down, and that's what the other people do, I'm assuming, where you break it down piece by piece. It's about a 40-minute video lesson download and shot from different angles, so you, the person that downloads it will be able to hear the story of the song and how it came about and see all the different ways to play it. I think I think that's the key is they can actually see you. That's the you know that's the difference is they can actually see, uh, you know what your hands are doing while you're explaining it to them. And that's I how think, I learned how to play by watching people. And I had one lesson, but I ended up showing the guy as much as he showed me, so I didn't go anymore. <laughs> one lesson. Wow. Maybe well, I'd say you're self-taught then, huh? Well, I wouldn't say self-taught because Doug Dillard, who was a big influence on me as a banjo player, he's in the group of Dillards, and sure. they were on the Andy Griffith Show. I watched them for years and, and other people that came around to L.A. Bill Keith was a big influence. And when Steve Martin and I both started, Steve and I went to high school together and worked in Disneyland together. It's an association that goes back 45 years. Wow. When we, when we started playing, oh, my God, I almost choked. And when I heard myself say that, it came back off the back wall of the room here. <laughs> what? I thought I was 47. Time flies. <laughs> anyway, we started playing with some of the people that influenced us. I used to show Steve how to play a song. He'd get halfway through it, and he'd take off on his own. But I video songs takes the person that is interested in, interested in a certain style of player, and you can find them. They've got over 300 people they've, they've logged. Yeah, I think it's a really great concept, and it, it, it's applicable to me because I, I was uh, a... Uh, a, uh, I was in bands and was playing guitar and singing in my, you know, teens and into my early 20s, and then kind of life hit, and I got a job and was married and had kids and little now, small see, I hear this all the time. Oh, I used to have a band, but I, I, I quit. I left college and got a job and had to settle down. I used to have a band in college, and I played for a few years later, but then I got married and had to settle down. Oh, well, I had man, a band, you can... I got married, and she liked it, but she had a kid, and I had to quit and settle down. <laughs> All of those are applicable to me. So yeah. it's really just in the last few years that I've, I had a I've bunch come of back. kids. I had a. I look at it this way. I had a bunch of kids. I had to get more jobs. I I understand. Well, see, but you were good enough to to make a living from it. That's the difference. I would say luck had a lot to do with it, and and perseverance, and skill, and and innate ability. You know. That. Thank you, but it's it, it's it's. What I wanted to do when I was, I knew when I was 18, I couldn't do the nine to five. I worked in Disneyland three years and I loved it, but it was, it was like a performing job. I was disappointed when I could only do a 10 hour day there. Can I do 12? One week I worked 94 hours. Wow. Now you see you were playing? You were playing banjo? No, no. This is before music came along. I was doing magic tricks in the Main Street Magic Shop. And so oh, wow. Well, I was probably there because we used to – I'm from L.A. I'm from Southern California. You know, and were you born in L.A.? Yeah. What is it? I was born in uh, – I was born right at the border of San Pedro and Palos Verdes. And you admit that? Oh, yeah. I'll admit it. Yep. Down in Florence, huh? So uh, yeah, near Torrance, right? And I uh, you know, yeah, I was you know why they call it the 405? Why? 
if you go four or five miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, it just keeps getting worse. I know. <laughs> well, we were just out. I was just out a couple of weeks ago, and man, I mean, there's just no time of day. There's no day of the week when you're, you know, can be assured that you're not going to hit traffic. It could happen at three in the morning on, you know, Sunday. You just, you yeah, just never many, know. Too many fish in the bowl. There are so many people. So, are you still in Colorado? Right now, I'm in Kansas City. I'm playing in Kansas City tomorrow night. Oh. I spent the last two days in Nashville recording. I, I don't know if you know the acoustic players, um, Tim O'Brien and, and uh, oh, well, I certainly know Tim. Yes, absolutely. You do, Tim O'Brien? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and anyway, Earl Scruggs and Stuart Duncan and Jerry Douglas and. Vince and Dolly and Steve. That's what I was doing the last two days. And then well, those are some pretty big names. It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. This album of Steve's is going to be wonderful. I'm going to see if I can get him to do an iVideo song of one of his songs. He, he, this is all his own music. He's written it all. And uh, Dolly and Vince sing one of his songs called Pretty Flowers about a couple, a romantic couple situation. Tim O'Brien's going to sing Daddy Played the Banjo. And uh, the rest are instrumental, except for one this, called Make Your School. Steve this is Steve said. Martin. Steve Martin, yeah. Wow, yeah, I know he's, I, I know he's a, a great banjo player. Well, people are going to be shocked when they hear this. They, 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 a lot of people say, "Oh, I've seen him play before. He's okay." Or that he would use it as a prop, you know. But uh, no, I think he was a banjo player before he was a comedian, wasn't he? No, not really. We started playing at the same time, and I would. Like I said earlier, I'd show him a couple licks of Foggy Mountain Breakdown, and he'd figure out a different way to end it. But uh, that, that's a hard line to draw. They, they traveled parallel with him. Uh, he started doing magic and comedy, and, and, and he had, in fact, the banjo he has, one of them, he has two main banjos, but one he bought when we were both 18, I think it was. No, 17. And... You know, it just kind of traveled along with him. As he became a writer for the Smothers Brothers and and went that path, he used the banjo. But along the way, he wrote some very unusual tunes. I wouldn't say he's prolific unless you look at it in a short picture. Like on this album, people are going to go, holy cow, that's a lot of music. And a lot of it's different. Some, some very Irish, some very uh, Celtic and Appalachian and a funny kid song called Late for School, and uh, the Dolly and Vince one came out great, and uh, it just took them 35 years to get to make yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, better late than never, that's for sure. Well, he didn't want to do any movies this year. Anyway, so that's coming along, and I'm, I'm hoping to get him to do one of those on the iVideo songs one, but even if people don't know what iVideo songs is about and you, you know for those surfers out there they have a bunch of examples where you can go check it out and do a sample you know whatever a one minute look at what things are and, I think it's a super cool idea and I'm, I'm really glad you're involved with it because that means people are you know they're, get, they're getting the real thing and yeah there's lots and lots of real big names and, and not just so much names but people who are really what am I really... talking to anyway excuse me I just got this number to call for an interview. I'm not sure what I'm talking about. It doesn't sound like a radio station. Uh, well, it, we're a online uh, radio uh, community, I suppose. It's Blog Talk Radio, and so I'm Eric Bolton. It's an internet program. Yeah, it's an internet. It's How long internet have you been radio. on? Oh, we've been on about a year. How's it going? Oh, really? Well, it's a lot of fun. We we had a, a bit of an interruption lately because we've had a bunch of really, really busy business stuff going on. And we had our we had an annual convention uh, a couple weeks ago. There was all kinds of time and effort for that. But but Lisa and I say hello, Lisa. Hi. Why are you a nitty gritty dirt fan? Are are you a, a nitty gritty fan, Lisa? I am, and um, you know, my my husband um plays banjo. Uh, oh, good. He's he's only he's only been playing for a couple of years, but um, I've I've heard I've heard uh, Steve Martin on on Tony Trishka's album, and mm-hmm. I saw them 
I saw them play uh, one night on the uh, on the um, David Letterman show. Yeah, and he's, he's an absolutely pro. amazing, amazing player. That's one of his songs, The Pro. It's called. That's on this new album. Yes, yes. In fact, with Patricia playing it. And, uh, so so anyway, we run blogcritics.org, which is an online magazine, and then we also do uh, the radio. It's a really nice outlet. It's a way to get to talk to people in, in a well, less formal to, setting. I just talked to Lisa. Did she call in, or is she here where you are? We are all calling in. That's, that was kind of the breakthrough of this, of, of the technology of blog talk radio, is there's no there there. Everyone just calls in by phone, and then oh, um, so someone... Oh, so might be 10 or 20 or 30 people listening or calling in or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we can take, I think, up to 30 calls at a Anybody time. Anybody have a question? Uh, well, Anybody actually, there? I have not been running the switchboard in that oh, okay. re- regard. Uh, well, I, I, how many people do you think you have tuned into your block Well, block? It, 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 it's... I, we can tell after the fact it's it's in the low thousands. We can tell fairly sh- uh, shortly after the show how many were listening while it was on. But here's the other great well, thing about it: it's not just live; it's permanently archived. So people will be listening to this years from now. The archive, yeah. the audio archive of Real this show. Real bored people. Right? <laughs> yeah, really bored people. Uh, the audio archive of all the shows are stored permanently. So you well, know, someone really doing good. a search for you. Or, I'll find or, out. I'll find out if I get a bunch of hits on. Here's the plug. John McEwen, M C E U E N. I'll go to nittygritty.com and you can connect to me. So I'll see how. I'll be interested to see how many people send me something. Well, I, I certainly hope that we uh, <laughs> that we send a flood your way. And uh, the you other thing we know. do is we we write about we we often we try. It's it's hard. The other things going on. But we we write a summary of the show, so that so there's also a text element to it, and then that picks you know search engines pick that up too. So what do you want to know? Well, I don't know. We've chatted quite years. a bit. Uh, I, I'm I'm uh, like I said, I'm a really big nitty gritty dirt band fan. It's it's great to uh, to talk with you. I've been a fan of your work solo all along. Thank I'm you. really excited to hear about the Steve Martin project. That sounds yeah. terrific. All the people involved. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, the iVideo tunes too. So I mean, we've covered a lot of that. Why don't we let people know where you're playing? You, you mentioned you're in Kansas City. Well, I'm uh, I'm playing in Kansas City at a place called Knuckleheads. Uh, see, my I have like three, uh, maybe four careers, and each one's a little different. Um, I play solo. I play with a dirt band. I produce things like. For people like this, and I try to make my own recordings, and I have my own show on XM Radio on Channel 15. So tomorrow I'm doing the solo thing at a cool music club in Kansas City called Knuckleheads. And in October, if you have any bloggers that are, I guess, around Pennsylvania area, I can be found in Bethlehem on the 16th at Godfrey Daniels. I haven't played there in 20 years. And on the 19th in Middletown, New York, at the Mansion Series. That's a that's a beautiful room in Middletown. That's very small, only about 110 seats. And, wow! But it's a very special kind of place to play. So there's a couple of places. I'm playing a folk festival in Moab, Utah, on the 7th and 8th of November. And that's a, that's enough hype. Well, boy, that sounds like a pretty great life. I'll tell you. Oh, I'm very, I'm one of the luckiest people I know, and I hope that comes across graciously. I feel very fortunate that people have listened to either the Dirt Band or what I do, or that things have worked well enough that I can continue to do it. The uh, the funny part is, is I like both the post office and flying. <laughs> you like the post office and flying. You tell me how you're going to send something to somebody across the country. It will it will get there in a few days for forty two cents. It, you know it's the cheapest mail service in the world. I have to deal with the post office all my life, and priority mail, pretty good deal. And the people, you know, the people there. I have not seen a post office where the clerks are ever just kind of standing around doing nothing. I haven't either. I, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm really, really happy, and it's interesting to hear that perspective because it's really pretty unusual. But 
I I agree with you. It's an amazing deal. They're terrifically efficient, and uh, my grandfather was the postmaster of San Pedro. Oh my God! So How it's cool. in the family, man. So did you did you get to hang around when they did mail in and out and stuff? I did when I was very young. Yes, he retired, you know, when I was quite young. But uh-huh. uh, but but I did, and I remember it very vividly as a as a little kid getting to hang around and you know. And it's, it's, a, it's a magic thing. You stick something in this little slot and in uh, in somewhere in the middle of Massachusetts, and then. A few days later, it shows up in Long Beach. <laughs> it just pops up out of nowhere. It is. It's miraculous. You're right, and and you're and you're right about flying too. I mean, they've made People it a lot. People don't realize that when that plane pulls in to the gate, there's a guy standing there with a couple of orange flashlights, and the trucks are coming out, and the baggage is coming and going from what 50 different cities to connect with it, and the crews have to change, and the stewardesses, the pilot has to have had at least eight hours sleep. All these, there's, there's a thousand factors that go, and I, I fly, I've had 125 flights this year. Wow. And when wow. we take off, you know, okay, sometimes they're a little late, but okay, we'll walk or take a car if you don't like it. The biggest problem people have with flying is they don't get there early enough. Yeah. Still not used to it, you know, because that certainly well, did change. Give, give yourself another 50, I'm always at an airport an hour and 20 minutes to an hour and 40 minutes prior to the flight, and I've never regretted being early. Yep, uh, that's about the range I, I aim for. Depends on the time of day and the airport and all that. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's gotten harder where there used to be more open seats so you could stretch out a little bit, and now there usually aren't too many open seats around, so that makes a difference. But but still, you know, they, they have to function within their economic sphere as well. And, I mean, the the, the reality of it, it's the reality really of it is magic. It's magic. You hop on a, a cylinder and end up somewhere else. Yes, the reality of it is, if you really want to do that and not complain about it, and you want to make it a private flight, well, let's let's be realistic and take a smaller plane that will be cheaper. But to go from L.A. to New York on a private jet is about twenty-five grand. Oh wow! You know. Well, that's uh, not cheap. <laughs> no, it's not. Even just to go from LA to San Francisco would rent you about six grand. Really? Wow. You know, I mean, not that I do it, or but I have done it a few times. I always ask. But well, you know, obviously, you know what it costs. Hmm? You know what it costs. Yeah, because I've had to deal with it before. <laughs> and okay, listen, I'll go for two hundred dollars. I just booked a ticket from LA to New York for a hundred and forty-two dollars. Did you really? Nonstop. Wow. On less than a week notice. That's at six thirty in the morning. That's still really remarkable, especially these yeah. days. There's always deals. It's that thing about it's easier to complain. But it doesn't get you very far. <laughs> well, you're a very positive fellow and it's very nice to talk to someone who's been around as long as you have and and I mean that only in the most positive sense. <laughs> who remains as youthful and as optimistic as you do? Well, it's, I feel like I'm just getting started over the last few years. Every year for the last five years, I've said, this has been a better year. Wow, cool. <laughs> and even, even right now, it's I'm just finishing a film score. It'll be the third one this year. Wow, a what is it? documentary film. One, one documentary is called Sizzle. It's about a global warming comedy, if you can believe that. Check it out. Oh, my. Another one's called Maynard Dixon, Art and Spirit, about a great painter from the mid-30s. And the one I'm finishing right now is called Cowboy. Uh, actually, it just changed to Howard's Trail. It's about a 72-year-old Colorado cowboy. And I get to do that. I get to, hey, I get to be in Kansas City tomorrow. Somebody's going to... Come see me play. Yeah, knuckleheads. That's what I want. <laughs> good for you. Nice plug. Uh, <laughs> I'm good like that. You weren't even reading copy. Heck no, man. I'm just sitting here doing... My, I'm just chatting with uh, with cool guys. <laughs> All right. Well, actually, we are down to our final uh, 30-some seconds, so I guess oh, well. we should... We should wrap it up. Yeah, we had a whole half hour together. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, John. Pardon? I said I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, John.
Well, thank you. This is John McMillan signing off a blog post. Oh, we have to do something like that? Uh, we can pretty much do whatever we want, really, okay. uh, because it's, you know, it's the Internet. But, yeah, no, we're uh, it's, it's BC Radio Live is the name of this show, and we're on Blog Talk Radio. And uh, tonight we just uh, are finishing up having a scintillating and uh, really quite enjoyable conversation with John McEwen. And we also spoke with author Joe Takish of Results Through Relationships. So thanks very much for listening. Thanks a lot, John. And uh, have a great show tomorrow. And really, really glad to hear about all the cool things you're working on. Okay. I hope you do hear about them when they're done. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Good night, Eric. Good night and farewell. And and God bless all banjo players. (laughs) Lisa was still there. How nice. Well, yes, yeah. yes, she she could be remarkably persistently quiet. But but we chatted some tonight. Let me know you were there. We chatted some tonight, didn't we, Lisa? We did indeed. All right. Well, thanks to you both, and okay, uh, have a great evening. And hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.